apologize. There it is. Okay, very good. Thank you very much. Mike upstairs is making a statement right now. Not real sure what that statement is, so... No, it is uh, great to have each one of you here at, uh, at Life Church. Thank you for, uh, for being here, making this a priority on Sunday mornings uh, to be here in person and also those who are uh, gathering online. Um, we find incredible value in uh, being the people of God. And part of that value is uh, being able to gather together uh, either in person or online because we find, or at least I have found, that, um, that people challenge me in my faith. And that's a good place to be, right? That we grow in the Lord, we grow in our faith faith. And uh, this is, uh, so thank you. That's all I got to say. Thank you for, uh, for being here on, uh, on Sunday mornings. Um, I don't know how many of you noticed this or not or paid attention to it, but our drummer today was, uh, was Mike Christopoulos. I don't know for those who know him. And uh, we were talking about this earlier. It's been about 25 years, we think, since the last time he played drums in this uh, auditorium. So it's been a long time. And so he did a fantastic job today. He's very, very multi-talented. So thank you, Mike. Uh, I know he's not right there right now. He's in the back. But uh, thank you, Mike, for, uh, for your ministry there. Uh, he has been serving a long time, folks. And we were talking before service uh, and just kind of thinking about uh, serving and how important it is, and this is, this is it's not my notes, this is all free, um, and uh, how valuable serving is within, uh, within the community of faith. And sometimes it's easy to just find yourself kind of hanging out in the pews, or pews, we don't have pews, uh, chairs, hanging out in the chairs, and uh, not growing. And that's what typically happens when we don't serve, because we don't push ourselves, we don't give those other opportunities. So if you haven't served, I'm going to piggyback on what Pastor John said. Oh, and by the way, he's starting a comedy class on Wednesday nights as well. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but really, I mean, it is that, that something happens when we begin serving, and so, something happens in our own spiritual walk, and we realize if we get stagnant, uh, sometimes it's that extra little push that we need. And so if you are, I've been here a part of Life Church for a while, and, and you're like, I just need to grow a little bit more. This might be the next step you need. And so see Pastor John and talk to him about some of the opportunities we have uh, that are very easy to step into uh, ministry-wise. All right. Now to my notes. <laughs> we'll get right back here. Uh, this man couldn't believe that he was being called out. Have you ever been called out before, like in a group? <laughs> Anybody ever and called out in church before? That's a, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, he was in the synagogue that day as he usually spent the Sabbath. But it was different on this day. Uh, there was a special speaker that was coming, and uh, the special speaker was uh, somebody that was be beginning to be known far and wide. This guy's name was Jesus, and this individual had never heard him before, and so was excited on that day. He'd heard about it. It also was an unusual day because there were Pharisees and other religious leaders. When he walked into the synagogue, they were sitting there. Now, this is a small, out-of-the-way town. I mean, Capernaum is, I mean, it's, it's a, a bigger town for the time, but the Pharisees and other religious leaders, they didn't spend time in this town. They were always down in Jerusalem where all the power players were. And yet, for some reason, here were these Pharisees and religious leaders sitting in the synagogue on the day that this guy walks in. The thing he noticed, though, is when he walked in, the Pharisees noticed him. <laughs> They, they, they pointed at him a little bit and talked among themselves, and, and this, uh, this guy was kind of curious, going, okay, what's, what's going on here? What's, what's happening this day? I don't like being pointed out. 
Well, the reading of the Torah ensued, some interactions among the people, and the Sabbath service progressed as normal until it was Jesus' turn. The man felt conspicuous most of the time because he had a hand that was unusable. This hand was, uh, was shriveled or withered. Something was broken about it and he couldn't use it. And so he would do everything he could to try to hide the fact that he had a withered hand. He, he, he tried everything he could to hide this fact that he was uh, somehow less than those around him. It kept him from working, made him stand out uh, in a bad way in a culture that really valued those external appearances. And in fact, uh, something like this was seen as, as a kind of judgment from God. So people would see him with his withered hand and wonder what he did to deserve this. He was always aware of this hand of his that was different than the other. It defined him in many ways. It limited him in many more. But he learned to hide it. He learned to hide this kind of reality for himself. That was until Jesus showed up that day in the synagogue and told him to stand up in front of everyone. Mark chapter 3 verse 1 says, Then Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man who uh, was there who had a withered hand they, talking about the religious leaders, watched Jesus closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could accuse him. There's all sorts of wrong with that, with that statement. We're not going to get too deep into that uh, today, but there's all sorts of wrong with that. And then it says this, so he said to the man who had the withered hand, stand up among all these people. What was going through that guy's mind in that moment? Uh, I don't know about you, but if I have any shortcomings, if I've got any things of my life that I'm not proud of or I'd like to hide, I don't like those being pointed out to me privately, <laughs> let alone publicly, right? So the religious leaders uh, know that this man with the withered hand is there. Um, th there's a lot of intrigue that happens behind the scenes, apparently, with the uh, Pharisees and religious leaders. And so uh, there, there's some who maybe think that this guy with the withered hand is planted there in the synagogue that day. Some think that, you know, maybe he, this is where he always went to synagogue. Um, but nonetheless, these Pharisees knew that this guy with the withered hand was there. They knew that Jesus had healed other people, and so they try to trap Jesus again. This is their, their sole job is, of the Pharisees, is to seems like to trap Jesus in the things that he's doing and saying. So shame was associated with the injury or perceived handicap that this individual has. To stand up to reveal the broken part of any life is a tough thing to do. To acknowledge need of help, right, can keep some people from even ever stepping out in their life. So what did it look like in a synagogue in, uh, in Jesus' time? Uh, I do have a picture. We'll see if the picture shows up. Let's see. There it is right there. Okay. So this is a picture of a synagogue about the first century uh, Palestine, right? And uh, you notice on the side there kind of the steps. So the front um, is kind of where we are looking from the front towards the rear of the, um, of the synagogue. And around the edges is where people would be seated. 
And so Jesus in this moment was probably standing about where we are looking out at the crowd who had gathered there that day. And so told this guy with the withered hand to come stand. It'd be like right now me having somebody come stand and you come stand up here with me on the, on the, where the pulpit is and uh, let's look out at the audience together. That's kind of what's going on there. This guy is totally exposed, right? Everything he'd like to hide in his life, totally open. Everybody can see it. That's a little bit rough, right? Uh, so I've been in church long enough to remember a time when preachers or pastors or evangelists that were visiting uh, would call out people in the congregation, like in the middle of their message, Ever happened, been to a service before where that has happened, where all of a sudden a preacher would stop, would point at somebody and would say, the, 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 the Lord has a word for you. Fantastic, right? I mean, and some incredible things have happened in there. Also, heart attacks happen in that moment when the preacher from the pulpit points at you and says, I've got something to say to you, <laughs> right? In that moment. Um, I remember years ago, if you remember Pastor Jim, right, those who've been here for a while remember Pastor Jim, I attended uh, um, uh, Mountain View uh, Christian Assembly down on the other side of the valley, and I remember distinctly in several services where Pastor Jim would point the finger to some teenagers sitting in the balcony <laughs> and say, now is not the time to talk, <laughs> right? I remember, yeah, that's fear or sweat comes out in that moment. Um, and then many years ago, uh, when I was a younger lad at the age of 18, I was down in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, we're with youth ministry, and there were probably, at the, it was a very, very large church of over, there's probably about 10, 11,000 people would come on a weekend, and uh, the youth ministry had about 600 teenagers that day, uh, you know, sitting there in their very large youth auditorium, and uh, I, was, uh, I was sitting there as part of a ministry discipleship group, and just loving Jesus, and, and I was an 18-year-old young guy, and and this, this uh, gentleman who was the leader that day and the pastor who was bringing the word, uh, he was the, uh, a district official and, you know, kind of an uppity-up kind of guy. And, and middle of his message, he stops and he points at me. It was right over here, like in this big auditorium, points over to where I was. He says, young man, I'd like for you to stand up. I'm an 18-year-old guy. I've seen this story play out a couple of times, and no 18-year-old guy wants his thought life exposed to all of his peers, right, in that moment, right? I'm like, okay, he's going to call out some sin in my life that I have hidden from God, right? You're, you're all looking at me like I'm, I'm weird, okay? But this, this was that moment, and I was scared to death, and that was, so I stand up trembling. What is this guy going to say to me? His, his name was Rick Ryan, and uh, he pointed at me thankfully, he said some very nice things about what God was going to be doing in my life. It was really kind of a cool moment uh, for me, and I wrote it down in my journal. I have it to this day, uh, those things that God spoke through this guy into my life, and many of those things have really uh, shaped, uh, shaped my life and my Christian faith. And so this is kind of what's happening in this moment with the synagogue and this guy with a withered hand and Jesus as the guest preacher telling this guy, hey, I'd like for you to stand up and come up here and stand with me for a moment. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 22, I'm not going to have you turn there, but it, it, it talks about this process of worship for the nation of Israel. And one of the things that it describes is the kinds of animals that are allowed for worship. And these animals have to be perfect, without blemish, 
they, they can't have any shortcomings in these animals because these animals are going to be representing the forgiveness of sins for the people of Israel. So no blemishes, no... And yet here is this guy standing up with an obvious blemish. Obviously something is, quote-unquote, inadequate in his life. And God's bringing him up to point it out. The reality is, is that we are all in a position of having blemishes. We all have withered parts of our life, right? Every one of us, every one of us has parts of our life that we've learned to live with that are less. Every one of us have parts of our life that we would like to hide from people around us because if ever it's exposed, it reveals we're not exactly whole. Sometimes these blemishes in our life, sometimes these inadequacies in our life, they're because of decisions that we have made. Choices that, that we have uh, purposefully put ourselves on a pathway and it has wounded us and hurt us. Relationships we shouldn't have been in that broke parts of us. Decisions we made to take risks that were unwise, right? You know, whatever that might be, things that we have decided that we will do that have led to these areas of our life where we are withered and broken and we are not whole. For others of us, um, it's circumstances of life that have been thrust upon us that have created those withered things, things that, that have been done to us, maybe abuses that have happened that have uh, stunted a growth in our lives or somehow have created these areas of our life that we would like to hide and to keep from others. And I don't blame you. Right? There are areas of my life that I'm not super proud of. Decisions that I made as an 18-year-old uh, young man, <laughs> right, that you look back on and go, God, I wish I would have never made those decisions. Who's with me, right? You, you, you look back on things you've done and you go, okay, God, I wish, yeah, this, this whole season of my life I would like to remove so that I never have to reveal that because it is a withered part of my life. So when we stand up like this guy, we're exposed as incomplete and inadequate. So we try to blend in. We try to obscure those hurts and failures, our perceived weaknesses. We try to hide from others. And we get pretty good at it. In fact, we get so good that we even stop talking to God about these areas of our life that he wants to make whole because we feel like it's futile. We feel like it's, it's never going to be healed. It's never going to be right again. So we try to hide it from him. But there's a bigger picture here that we've got to keep in mind. God is concerned with your wholeness. God is absolutely and totally concerned with you being whole. He wants you to be whole. He doesn't want you to have in your life these areas. Now, we all have, and we're going to continue to have until the day we meet Jesus face to face. We are going to continue to have struggles and brokenness in our life. But we can't hide it from him. And this wholeness is internal. It's external. The reality is, is that everybody sees these broken parts of our life anyway. 
At least that's been my experience. It all eventually comes out. <laughs> Those internal and external things. We can try to hide, but we can't ultimately. Your spouse knows. Children sense it. Might not be able to put their finger on it, but they know it's there. Coworkers notice this, and yet we still try to hide that. So when God calls it out, why do we have a tendency to run? To feel that for some reason he can't do anything about it. The reality is that God wants to work in you. Remember, God is the one who knit you together. God is the one who made you in his image. He wants to work in you to bring out the beauty that God desires for your life. God wants to work in and through you, and oftentimes that involves other people working in your life as well to bring out his best in your life. And the great thing is, is when he finally works that wholeness in our life, if we're honest with ourselves, we realize we can't ever brag about it because it's only his grace and mercy that produces that wholeness in our life. It's not us. It's no work that we can do because all of that is incomplete. All of that ends up falling and fading away. But when God works in our life, his mercy and grace overflows. So what does Jesus do to this man who's now standing, totally exposed to the world around him? Uh, so there's more going on uh, than meets the eye in this moment. A lot more, actually. Uh, Jesus is also getting at the heart of those who had gathered to trap him. The man had a withered hand, and that much was obviously clear, but there's, there is something else that is withered that is completely hidden from people around them, except Jesus knows. These religious leaders had a different kind of withering going on. Their, their hearts were being revealed as withered because they were wanting to trap Jesus because he was going to heal someone. So the day that all of this is happening is on a Sabbath. Now, we don't, uh, a Sabbath day for the, for the Jewish culture would be Friday evening, beginning at 6 p.m. until Saturday morning, 6 a.m. That was, or uh, Saturday, 6 p.m. So that was their Sabbath, was the Friday night to, uh, to Saturday. Uh, we don't, as followers of Christ and what's kind of revealed in the New Testament, we don't quite have that same sort of structure as uh, Paul, you know, talked about the first day of the week when that was Sunday in the, the calendar that they had. And so there was a change that happened in the way that church was celebrated uh, very, very early on and really to make room for the Sabbath that was there. And then also then Sunday, the believers would gather together. And so it was kind of an interesting thing going on. But in, here in Jesus' time, the Sabbath was a very sacred day for the Jewish culture. No work could be done on the Sabbath, nothing. Uh, typically, you're supposed to prepare your food the day before and figure out how to have all of that ready to go so that you could do the minimal amount of work. Now, there were some um, uh, examples that were given wh whereby you could still do some work. Like if your donkey fell into a ditch, you could get the donkey out because that was a matter of life and death, A, for the donkey, and then B, for your livelihood. So you could get the donkey up and out if, if it was an ox that fell, whatever. You could work with that ox and get it out. And on that day, you could save a life as well. If somebody was endangered, you could save a life. 
So this is what Jesus deals with next because he knows the heart, especially of those who are trying to trap him. And this is what he says in Mark 3. Then he said to them, is it lawful to do, not awful, lawful, (laughs) is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or evil, to save a life or destroy it? So this is what he's getting at. He's like, you know, there's some exceptions to this rule of the Sabbath, and I'm trying to figure out what you guys are thinking should happen in this moment. I've got this guy who has a withered hand. Obviously, everybody sees this. Is it right to do good and save a life, or is it, or is it wrong to do this, you know, for death and destruction? But they were silent again, the religious leaders. After looking around at them in anger, grieved by the hardness of their hearts, we're going to get back to that in a second, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. And his hand was restored. So this incredible miracle takes place in front of everybody, seeing this restoration of somebody who had a broken part of his life totally restored back to normalcy. I mean, it's a beautiful moment, right? I mean, this is celebratory. This should be shouts of praising God that God had done this. And yet, look what happens next. So the Pharisees, because of this miracle of healing, says, so the Pharisees went out immediately and began plotting with the Herodians as to how they could assassinate him. How could we be so blind to the work that God is doing? Well, Jesus revealed a little bit earlier the hardness of their hearts, right? We, we miss where God is at work. So this story is the last of five conflicts that Jesus has with the Pharisees that, as Mark writes it in Mark chapter 2 and 3, he focuses on five quick, remember, it's, this is a quick, quick idea, uh, these five quick interactions between Jesus and the Pharisees, religious leaders, uh, and the conflict that's arising. All of this is leading in the way Mark is telling the story, ultimately to the cross, right? And this is that last one, making it very obvious that they are trying to kill Jesus after this conflict. And perhaps this is the most telling one because of what they missed and how incredibly obvious it was. So Jesus asked this question, is it good to save a life or on the Sabbath should we destroy a life? But the religious were silent. Seems like an easy answer. But for them, they're looking for a way to trap the withering of their hearts on full display just as this man had visible deformation. So Jesus says to the man, stretch out your hand. He doesn't touch him. He doesn't make a big show of it, right? It's not, you know, it's it's not uh, in our minds the televangelist moment. I mean, that's not it at all. He just says, stretch out your hand, and he's healed. I mean, this is, it's it's just so nonchalant for uh, for the way that Mark describes this, and it's just beautiful, honestly. The Bible says his hand was restored. That word restored brought back to the way that it was. And so from that, we understand that it was probably an injury or something like that that led to his hand being, um, uh, being malformed. Jesus is all about bringing life and restoring what's been ruined. Right? How many of you have had ruined things that Jesus has restored? This is what Jesus is all about. But the others were there that were there didn't have the same view. As reading in a uh, in a commentary, it says the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, were indignant. They were mad. They were angry because the healing of the paralyzed hand could have waited until tomorrow. 
right? I mean, it just seems so silly to us on this side looking at this. And yet they were so steeped in their blindness that they missed what God was doing. They forgot mercy in light of what was right in their eyes. So notice that something is going on with Jesus that's potentially instructive for us today in this whole story. After looking around at them in anger, grieved by the hardness of their hearts, the Bible says. Is it strange to talk about Jesus being angry? I think that's one of the myths. I remember at the very beginning of the series, as, as we started talking about On Your Mark, right, this incredible act of God, uh, there are some myths about Jesus, and one of those is that he's just this somewhat passive, just love everybody, you know, kind of Jesus. Is that, is that, I mean, that's a picture of Jesus that I think we hear of, and that's kind of what we assume, but that is not at all the case when you start reading and actually understanding what's being written. Um, it says that Jesus was angry. Jesus was angry at them. <laughs> have you ever been angry? How many of you have been angry in the last couple of weeks? <laughs> right? There is this low-grade anger that's not so low-grade at different times, right, that is on display all around us. We feel it. We sense it. We hurt. We, I mean, we have all of those things going on around us. And Jesus was angry. He was angered at the flippant uh, concern that some had for human life. He was angry at the religi religiosity, the religiousness of the people that were looking at this and not realizing that to save a life on the Sabbath was a good thing and healing was a good thing. But it's important to note something here that's vital to Jesus' expression of anger. Really important for us to keep in mind. We've seen in these past uh, about 11 days now some truly disturbing images um, as a young man, I was a Boy Scout. Huge love for our country, right? And, and we have this sense of, of honor and integrity, this sense of, um, uh, I'm not sure what that descriptor is that really is adequate for it. We, I love this country. And then to see what happened Wednesday a week ago broke my heart. And yet there was anger overflowing and just, I mean, being justified on all sorts of levels that this is okay to do when clearly it's not, right? I, I can't think of any justification for that to have taken place. Should there be anger? Sure. Right? I mean, there, there, there is ample room for anger in our world today. But what does that anger look like? What does that anger actually look like? Um, anger should never boil over into violence like that. But notice what Jesus coupled that anger with. He was grieved he was grieved by the hardness of their hearts. The anger that Jesus had was an anger that was tempered by the grief that he had over the lostness of those who were looking on at Jesus. 
And so when we've got to recognize that we represent Jesus to this world, and the anger that sometimes we express that is grounded in politics rather than grounded in the word of God or rather than grounded in the grieving over the lostness of humanity, that's not the right kind of anger we should have. And what Jesus' anger boiled over into was the expansion of life. What Jesus' anger boiled over into because he was grieving over the hardness of the hearts of those who were watching was Jesus was working a miracle. That's how his anger showed up. That's a constructive kind of anger. <laughs> now, was he still angry with them after the miracle happened? Probably. Right? He still carried that. And we see a number of other times in the word that there was anger that, that boiled over in Jesus' life because he saw this bankruptcy of the heart of those who were supposed to know better. And especially in situations like what we observed, um, there were some who were using the cross some who were using uh, those kind of that, that, those symbols of faith to then justify the actions that they were taking. That grieves my heart because that does not at all represent the Jesus that we see revealed here on the Sabbath day, bringing life in the midst of his own anger. And so the next time that you are angry, which you're going to be, <laughs> Probably later on this week, right? Some of you are going to remain angry <laughs> at what happens just a few days from now, right? Um, how does that anger take shape, though? Does it take shape boiling over into the grief that you experience because of the lostness of humanity? And it's not the grief that they're not on your political side. That's not the kind of grief we're talking about here, right? That they're blind to that. The grief is over all humanity that doesn't know Jesus. That grief should always temper our anger. Uh, Paul, who's a later leader of the church in the, uh, in the early church, he writes a bunch of letters to the New Testament, to the young church as it's trying to be formed. Um, and he recalls uh, to them the reality that they've been transformed by Christ in the early part of Ephesians chapter 4. It's like, hey, this is the way that you used to be. These are the decisions that you made and the things that Jesus has healed you of and brought you out of. And you've been totally transformed. Then verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4, he says this, Therefore, having laid aside falsehood, in other words, your life has been made right. You've gotten rid of the falsehood. You've gotten rid of all those lies that you've been told your whole life. And now you're serving Jesus. It says, each one of you should speak, or each, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one, of one another. There's this idea of, the, of the, human, the human condition is all around us at all times. So speak the truth to your neighbors, to everybody you come in contact. Speak the truth. Then he says, be angry and do not sin. Paul says it here. It's okay to be angry, folks, at the condition of the world around us, but it better leave us to grieve. He says, do not let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. Why? Because verse 27, do not give the devil an opportunity. Within the family of God and outside the family of God, God is concerned with anger. 
in the midst of uh, this drive of the early church to show that they're different, Paul was saying, don't get carried away, church. When you're angry at the world around you, you better be grieving over the condition of the souls of those who don't know Jesus. So it's okay to be angry that they don't listen. It's okay to be angry that people still push their hand against Jesus. It's okay to be angry. Jesus was in that moment recognizing the hardness of their hearts. They saw the miracle of life being on display, and yet they turned away from it. Let your life be that miracle of life on display for the world to see, right? It's God's, it's God's um, prerogative to bring people to him and open up that door. So don't give the devil an opportunity because if you give the devil an inch, he's going to take what? Actually, about 100 miles. <laughs> he's going to do everything he possibly can, right? And he has in our nation, he has in your family potentially, he has in a relationship with coworkers. He, he, this is what we see over and over and over again. This is what the devil does. Tries to divide, tries to create anger and opens those doors and becomes an opportunity. So Jesus was grieved by their withered hearts because they weren't the way that God intended. Hearts that weren't open to God's desire for them to be loved by God. And Jesus was grieved by the withered hand of this individual. And so Jesus made it whole. Just like Jesus wants to make hearts whole that are hardened before him. I'm going to invite you, actually, stay seated for just a moment. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. You are here this morning. Um, and yeah, this is, this is a, the Sabbath, or this is the, the synagogue moment that Jesus did for this individual. When he called this individual forward, I'm not going to call any of you forward, but there's an area of your life that is withered and broken. It is not whole. And you've tried to hide it from others. You've tried to hide it from God. You have you've made this a, uh, it's like your crusade. And you're like, I'm going to make sure that this is hidden. I don't want to be, I don't want this to be out there. But you would say, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's mental, whether it's spiritual, whatever that is, and you would say, I know that I need to give opportunity for God to make this thing whole in my life. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to stand. If there's an area of your life, you say, I just need Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's okay to be exposed like this, right? <laughs> it's okay to say, God, I need work. Lord, there's an area of my life that I need work on. And Lord, this withered part of my life, Lord, heal it. And then secondly, there are those of you who recognize in your own life that anger is kind of taken over a little bit. And you've forgotten to grieve for those who don't know Jesus. Again, it's not a political thing. It's not, I'm on the left, they're on the right, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's not it. It's you have forgotten to grieve for those against whom you are angered. Angered. And if that's you, and you would say, I need to get this withered part of my own life right with God, can you stand really quickly? If you haven't already, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Okay. Amen. You can open your eyes, right? So here we are, some standing, some seated. Those who are seated doesn't mean that they're perfect, by the way. <laughs> that's not what it means. All right. And I'm going to invite everybody to stand to your feet now at this time. 
Father, you see every one of these who have stood to their feet. Lord, we recognize that we are, we are in need of your touch to be upon our lives. God, those who stood because they recognize some withered areas of their own life, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them just like you did uh, to the man with the withered hand, Lord, when you said, stretch out that hand, and God, he did, and his hand was restored. God, I am believing that you are going to restore uh, these broken areas of lives. Lord, you're going to lead um, God to wholeness and rightness in their life. God, you're going to cause healing to be upon them. God, you're going to cause spiritual life to be born within them, Lord God, in these areas that are withered in their lives. And God, we thank you that we can rejoice over the miracles that you are going to do within them. God, some of these miracles are going to be visible, and Lord, we're going to notice some others. God, these are internal things that you are working out, and we're going to rejoice with them as well. And Father, for us as a body of Christ, help us to recognize, Lord, that there are things in this world that can anger us. But Lord, help us to never forget to grieve for those who don't know you, whose lives have been racked by sin and brokenness. And God, that can be on either side of a political aisle. God, that's not what it's about. But Lord, it is about grieving for those who don't know you. So God, help us to temper the anger that we might have. God, turn it in such a way, Lord, as we begin to pray for and to bless those who don't know you. And God, give us an opportunity to love on those for whom we are angered. Give us an opportunity, Lord, to lead those around us to Jesus Christ who don't know you, whose uh, political views or religious views or uh, the way that they look at family, the way they, they look at the opposite sex, God, that might anger us. But God, help us to be grieved enough to be able to reach out to them, to let them know about the Jesus who's able to heal, who's able to bring wholeness and new life to them. Lord, we love you this day. We give you all the glory. Father, I pray your blessing upon your people as we leave from here. Uh, God, help us to start even in the parking lot, not to be angered, <laughs> but to grieve, Lord, over their driving abilities of the other people, Lord. Help us, God, to honor you, Lord, in everything that we do. Help us, oh God, as we look at the world around us, to love this world that you have given because, Jesus, you gave yourself for them. Lord, we love you this day. Give you all the honor. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here today. Trusting that the Lord is going to lead you guys as we trust him. So bless you guys.